Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, last week we started a new series called Among Us. And if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go online to crosspointwaverly.com, find us on YouTube or Facebook, or listen on Spotify and catch up. Next week is the Christmas production. I'm going to say this several times throughout the message today. Make sure to invite friends and family. Make sure that you're here. There are these cards on your seats. You can take them, invite people to, uh, to come next week. Well, we, this season of Advent kicked off last week. For those who don't come from a liturgical background, Advent is the season on the global church calendar leading up to Christmas. And Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus and means arrival or appearance. And so Advent is the season where we celebrate Jesus' arrival or appearance in the flesh in this world. And it's something worth celebrating. During the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating and anticipating the moment in time when God arrived and appeared in the flesh. Last week, we looked at the mind-bending concept that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Today, we're going to look at how the incarnation was the first gift of Christmas. Incarnation is a big word. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you might not be. Incarnation simply means when God put on flesh and entered the world. There's a famous Christmas carol, O Holy Night, that has these lyrics. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The incarnation proclaims that you matter to God. The arrival of Jesus in the flesh in this world proclaims that you matter to him. And so as you gaze into the manger, know that in all of your peculiarities and your failures, your faults and your eccentricities, yes, you matter to God. So I encourage you this season to let your soul feel its worth, that you matter to God. This morning, if you feel overlooked or like you don't matter, one of the most notable characters and points of the Christmas story involves Mary. She was a poster child for someone that most people would overlook or look past. She didn't have much status. She was an unmarried woman, possibly even still a teenager in ancient times. And yet God not only noticed her, he chose her to bring the greatest gift humanity has ever known into existence. Now she's one of the most significant figures in history. All because of her life, her obedient surrender was significant to God. In in Luke chapter 1, verse number 46 It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with the good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. And Lord, this morning, for those that have come in today or those watching online whose hearts are far from you, may today be the day that your spirit tugs at their heart and draws them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, when we looked at how Jesus was fully God and fully human, it's hard to wrap our heads around this, and it's harder to illustrate. Some of you maybe have seen the movie Thor, and there's a character who bears that name, and he's a, a little god. His father banishes him from his home to earth, and when he first arrives on the earth, he's confused, and he's repeatedly shouting up to the sky, uh, Father. People gather around him, and they think he's crazy and think that he's a threat, and so one of the guys who has gathered around in this crowd tasers him, and when he does, he's knocked out. Thor has never experienced a moment when he didn't have superhuman strength, and the taser taser knocks him unconscious. And so as amusing as this scene is, it also illustrates the, 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 the dilemma of talking about the incarnation of Jesus. We just don't have anything else quite like it to convey what occurred. Incarnation, again, is the formal word used to describe the action of God taking on flesh as Jesus. The only reason why he would do that is because of his love for you and to demonstrate that you matter to God. Jesus became a human being because human beings like us matter to him. And so in this Among Us series, we're looking at the first chapter of John to prepare ourselves for an encounter with God. John, in the first five verses of this book, tells us that Jesus was fully, the, fully divine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word is Jesus. This week, we're talking about the flip side of the incarnation, about God entering into the world. John chapter 1, verse number 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the holy, only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does it mean that God took on flesh and dwelt among us? This passage tells us that not only was Christ divine, this verse also tells us that he was human. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Among us. Why did he do this? He did it because of his love for us. Verse number 14 reads, For the word dwelt. John uses the Greek word skinu, which is the verb form of tabernacle. And so a paraphrase of chapter, John chapter 1, verse number 14 would be that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us or pitched his tent among us. There are two things about this imagery that, uh, that I like physically and spiritually. First, physically, when I think about Jesus pitching a tent next to me, I think about the Boundary Waters trip that Dave Shutnik took me on several years ago. And I think about the, the makeshift tents that we made with tarps that were open on both sides, but it shielded us from the elements, and on nice days it was open, and on rainy days it was open. But even in those moments, we were together, right? We did things together. We endured together. We suffered together. We celebrated and rejoiced together. And it was an amazing experience. And to think 
of Jesus setting up a tent right beside us in his creation. What a powerful, powerful image. We left the comfort of our beds, we left our showers, the roof over our heads, and, and, and I don't know about your houses, I like my house, but it's not heaven, right? And Jesus left the comfort of heaven and all that went along to it to come and pitch a tent with us and be exposed to physical pain and discomfort in every human emotion. The spiritual imagery is even more potent. For Greek-speaking Jews and other readers of the Greek Old Testament, the term would call to mind the tabernacle where God met with Israel before the temple was built. By using this word, John is giving us a very clear picture of what it meant that God dwelt among people in the flesh. The tabernacle's main purpose was to provide a physical manifestation of God's holiness on earth. I recently reread the details and the specs about the tabernacle and subsequently the temple, and I'll just tell you it's detailed. The layout, the contents, the vessels, the furniture, even the material it was made of all harken back to some element of God's character and humanity's need to approach a holy God cautiously and respectfully. This was the place where humanity could come to God and worship. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery states, in this way, the author of the gospel intends us to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the tabernacle. God is indeed present among men and women. And John is saying that God has chosen to dwell amongst his people in a more personal way. The word became flesh. The act of dwelling and tabernacling among us is a gift from God. And it's, as you could say, the first gift of Christmas. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Caden Schwer is up on the front row this morning. He has no idea that I'm going to ask him to come up here, but I'm just going to tell you, you want to come up here today. So, you know, seriously, would you come up onto the stage with me? Let's give it up for Caden Schwer this morning. Caden's part of the youth ministry. Last year, I was a seventh grade boy, small group leader, and you were in there and a leader of that. You're an incredible young man. You love Jesus passionately, and I'm so excited about that. This year in the eighth grade, somebody else is your small group leader. But today, uh, have you ever opened up a present that then in another present, it, had, it was a present and then another present? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay, cool. Well, today, something similar is going to happen. Are you ready for it? Come on. All right, let's have a seat on the couch. So today, there is a box full of presents, and in the presents are more presents. So go ahead and open up the first gift, and then make sure you check any place in that gift where there's something else could be. Oh, look at that swag right there. Look, movement, youth, cross point, swag right here. A fanny pack, Jesus loves you, available at a swag shop near you, i.e. right outside those doors after service. Cool. What? Bro, not only do you get a fanny pack, it comes with 20 bucks. Why didn't I buy one last week? That's cool. What's the yellow thing? A towel. What does it say on it? I'll, I'll tell you what it says. It's BGMC towel, Crosspoint Kids. Thank you, PG. Look, after you get your workout on, you can wipe the sweat off right there. All right, is there anything else in there? What? Let's show it to them. Crosspoint Church mug. Thank you, Deb Mummify, for wrapping all these presents and the bows, you know. Yes. What, you think there's something in the cup? Oh, no, open it. Let's see. 
What is that? What a red card. Oh, Z's Pizza and dinner. Looks like we're grabbing lunch this week. You got $20 and, and you got a card. Man, in the cup. That's cool. Is there anything else in this gift that keeps on giving? What? Is that another cross point swag thing? Let's take that bow off and show people. It's okay. We don't have to reuse it. But you can if you want to. Oh, reusable. Cool. You can take that home. Say, Mom, I'll wrap your Christmas present. All right, hold it up to everybody. Let them see. Oh, Jesus is king hoodie right there. Yep, yep. And then, what is that? It's a love and lace gift certificate. This bro's going home with Christmas. Cool. Well, Caden, thank you for coming up here. You can take all that stuff. Leave the box for next service. Let's give it up. You want to? Yeah, actually, it's all here. He said, actually. You can keep doing that. I love that response. He said, actually? And you know why I say that is because there are some of you who can't believe that Jesus loves you so much that he would forgive you of your sins and give you a fresh start and give you an amazing gift this Christmas of a relationship with him. And that response was not scripted. I didn't talk to him before service. Bro, that'll preach. I wish you could come back up next service. He's like, I will. I'll do whatever you want me to. Wow. Like this present filled with treasure after treasure, so too God's presence among us gives us so many blessings. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It lets us see the glory of God, and it's huge. And what did Moses, the biblical figure who had the best relationship with God, ask for? Moses asked to see God's glory. Glory is a visible manifestation of God's majesty and his holiness and power. Side note, this week I wrapped up the book of Deuteronomy early in the week in my devotional reading. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 48 says, The very day the Lord spoke to Moses, go up to the Mount of Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people. God told Moses to climb a mountain and die. He's 120 years old. Can you imagine getting to the base of the mountain knowing that you're going to climb up it and die? You're like, God, could you just make it easy for me and kill me now? But God took him up there to show him something. He took him up there to show him the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He took him up there to show him the land that his offspring would be living in. Moses had been disobedient to God, and as a result, God told him that he would never enter into the promised land. But here in the final season of his life, God takes him up to the mountain to look out to see what the promise uh, was, that the promise was going to be fulfilled for his offspring. And if Moses would have pouted and said, God, kill me now, he would have missed that moment. And I wonder how many of us this morning that God has us climbing up a mountain so that he can show us his promise and his glory, and we're having a pity party at base camp. I love what Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse number 7 says about Moses. It says he was 120 years old when he died. 
his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. The incarnation proclaims that you matter to God. And the only way that we make it to the end of this race of faith with our spiritual eyes undimmed and our spiritual vigor unabated is through the grace of Jesus. So again, what did Moses ask to see? He asked that God would show him his glory. And again, glory is a visible manifestation of God's majesty, holiness, and power. Yet God tells Moses that he can't look at him directly or he would die. That he could only let Moses catch a glimpse. In Exodus chapter 33, verse number 20, he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. When Isaiah is given a vision of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6 and in verse number 2, the seraphim continually declare the holiness of God, but their eyes are covered. And yet John declares that when the word became flesh, when Jesus was born, we beheld the glory of God. Not only does John chapter 1 tell us that in Jesus we can behold the glory of God, but we're also given a description of his glory. John chapter 1, verse number 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from this fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Earlier in this message, we already talked about how Jesus tabernacles with us. And now John continues to say that we have seen his glory and his glory is full of grace and truth. We live in a world that only wants grace, but how many know that life transformation doesn't just happen with grace, it happens with grace and truth. And John says that the glory that we see is of grace and of truth. And in verse number 15, John, uh, John the Baptist bears witness, and he basically says, yep, that's him. He's the one who was to come. He's here right now. Yes, that's him. This holiday season, may we be a witness to people to say, yep, that's him. That's the one who has transformed my life and changed me. Let's point people to Jesus this season. In verse number 16, it says, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The word made flesh is the source of grace, which is the total of all the spiritual favors God gives to people. Grace is the undeserved gift of God's love towards us. It's a huge gift where God tells us through Jesus that we're right with him. He sent his son to die for our sins to free us to live for him. And John writes that we have received the fullness of this grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Because of the fullness of his grace, one blessing after another comes to Christians as waves continue to come to shore. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, had the chance to go hunting down in Des Moines. And Thursday was beautiful, and Friday morning was nothing of the sort. 
okay? Friday morning, I'm sitting on a field edge, and it's literally 20 degrees outside, and you know how much I love cold. I mean, if it wouldn't offend you, I'd have a stocking hat right now, you know, preaching with a stocking hat on. I wear one all the time. I sleep in a stocking hat, right? I mean, I just, I freeze. It's 20 degrees outside and 20 mile per hour northwest winds. Just no protection, bam, just beat me in the face for two hours. I'm out with two other people. I can't just climb down the tree because I would have, right? I can't bust up their hunt. And so the wind was just blowing, literally, 20 mile per hour winds, and I'm shivering. If anything would have walked by me, I couldn't have shot it. Uh, I mean, like, I, it was miserable. Finally, these other guys were done, and, but before that. So I would be like, God, do you, do you love me? Would you just shine your face upon me? Give me peace, peace, be still. You know, Jesus did it, like right in the boat. He stopped the wind. And, and so the wind would stop literally for just like a second. And I would be like, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Thank you, God. Right? But it's, it's not what was to be. It was like a wave just building up steam to the just whack me again. It was horrible. But think about the amazing side of that. If it was 100 degrees outside and it was 20 mile per hour winds, just a cool breeze blowing over you. And what we experience as followers of Jesus because of the incarnation of Jesus is blessing after blessing. The Christian life is the constant reception of one evidence of God's grace replacing another. And this grace is without limit. Martin Luther put it this way, the sun is not dimmed and darkened by shining on so many people or by providing the entire world with its light and splendor. It retains its light intact. It loses nothing. It is immeasurably perhaps able to illuminate 10 more worlds. I suppose that 100,000 candles can be ignited from one light and still this light will not lose any of its brilliance. Thus Christ our Lord, to whom we must flee and of whom we must ask all, is an interminable well, the chief, chief source of all grace. Even if the whole world were to draw from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people into angels, still it would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. What an image. What an image. And John continues in verse number 17 with, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and what a gift that is. John the Baptist in verse number 29 of chapter 1 saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does the incarnation of Jesus speak to? It speaks to the fact that we serve a loving God and that you matter to him. The lyrics of that familiar carol, I hope, will be stuck in your heads this week and that, that through that, you'll be reminded of God's love and that you matter to him. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. May you feel his worth today. You'll never find your worth outside of him. Not in what you have who you know, or where you live. Your worth is only found in him. 
In the 17th century, there was a young boy who was born into a Christian home. And for the first six years of his life, he heard the truths of the gospel and he was dearly loved. Sadly, though, his parents died. The orphan boy went and lived with his relatives and he was mistreated. He was abused. He was ridiculed for his interest in Christ. And the orphan couldn't tolerate that situation. And though he was still a boy, he fled and joined the Royal Navy. In the Navy, the boy's life went downhill. He became known as a brawler, and he was whipped many times. He participated in the keel hauling of some of his comrades, and finally, while he was still young, he deserted the Royal Navy and fled to Africa. And there he attached himself to a Portuguese slave trader. There his life reached his lowest point. There were times when he actually ate off of the floor uh, with his hands and his knees, and he escaped, and then he became attached to another slave trader as the first mate on a ship. But the young man's pattern of life had become desperately depraved. He stole the ship's whiskey, and he got so drunk that he fell overboard. He was close to drowning when one of his shipmates harpooned him and brought him back on board. Can you imagine? As a result, the young man had a huge scar on his side for the rest of his life. He couldn't get much lower. Finally, in the midst of a great storm off the coast of Scotland, after days and days of pumping water out of the boat, the young man began to reflect on verses he had heard as a boy and was marvelously converted. The new life he found is reflected in the words to this song that many of you will know. He wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This young man, John Newton, became one of the great preachers of the 17th century, all because of the amazing, limitless grace of God. In this first chapter of John, the apostle is talking about the amazing sufficiency of God's grace. This morning, may we be reminded that no one is beyond the reach and the power of God's grace. And so, again, for you, like when, when Caden said, really? There are some of you this morning who find that hard to believe that I would say that you're not beyond the reach of God's grace. But yet I hope that this morning that your response will be, really? That you'll accept that, that free gift from him. God's grace is adequate for anyone. The incarnation of Jesus cost him something. And this morning he's extending an invitation of grace to all. And all we have to do is stretch out our hands and receive it. He's offering the best Christmas gift that you'll ever receive. We encourage you this season, this Advent season, to accept that gift. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. Believing in Jesus involves seeing him as God's son and accepting the description as real and simply stretching out our hand to accept God's gift of eternal life. To move from being a child of wrath to a child of God. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads all across this room. You would close your eyes. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today. What a powerful story. 
about the man who wrote Amazing Grace and, and how even more convincing those lyrics are when you know the backstory. And yet when he got saved, God's grace didn't, didn't diminish and it didn't run out. In the announcement video, PG mentioned the 12,000 people within a 10-mile radius of our church who don't go to church. And even if God's grace were to extend to those 12,000 people, there would still be plenty more. Most weeks we pray for a different country and unreached people groups. And we pray for countries that literally have millions of people who are far from God. And even if those millions of people turned their hearts to God and, and accepted this grace, it still wouldn't run out. And so for those of you this morning who have believed the, uh, the lie of the enemy, that God could never love you, that God could never forgive you, today I pray that your eyes would be open and that you would realize that this gift of incarnation tells you today that you matter to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this morning if you say, I want to become a follower of Jesus, I want to receive this free gift of eternal life. I want to turn from the way that I'm currently living my life of sin and turn towards freedom, towards God. I want to lay down these things that inhibit me, and I want to walk with Christ moving forward. If that's you, when, when I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand all across this room. There was at least one hand that went up of somebody who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer in person today or online, we'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made in the journey that God wants to take you on. I'm gonna pray over us. After I do, the worship team's gonna lead us in another song, and prayer team's probably not gonna be up there. I didn't talk to Pastor Dan. Where's the prayer team gonna be? The prayer team's gonna be over here today. Um, and so if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, uh, please make your way up to the front after, after I pray. Again, next, next weekend is an easy invite. Your neighbors, your friends, 
your family, invite them to come. And then you know what? I'm going to pray in just a second. I'm going to pray that people's response would be like Caden's this morning. Really? And that next week so many people would come to know Jesus because of your courage to invite them to come. God, we thank you so much for your presence in this room this morning. God, we thank you that in a moment as people have come here with different needs, as they step out of their seat and they come forward for prayer, we thank you that you're going to meet those needs, that prayers are going to be answered this morning. God, I thank you for all of those who've been part of set design and lighting and technical uh, things and, and all of the uh, music and the directing and everything that goes along with the production for next week. God, I pray that in this week that everybody who's part of that would stay safe, that they would stay well, and that you would give them strength. And as we come together next Saturday and next Sunday morning, we celebrate your birth in this production. I pray that the people that we would invite who are far from you, that their hearts would melt like wax before you, that they would hear the gospel presented, and that their response would be, really? God could love me and God could forgive me. Lord, we pray for a mighty, mighty revival next Saturday and Sunday of people turning their hearts towards you. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.